if you know these changes to your body are dulling your light and dulling your energy, then you got to do something about it. It can be fixed. You can do something about it. You don't have to step away from that light and marginalize yourself. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses, many of them accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% saving for members of Australian Fitness Network. Tracy Minnook has long been a leading light of the fitness industry. With a career spanning group exercise teaching, international instructor training and program development, she's now turning her focus to happier, healthier, active ageing for women. Here, she chats with the fitness industry podcast's Oliver Kitchingman about breaking the silence on female physiological changes. The female fitness pioneers now leading the way for training women in the third age of their lives and addressing stress and mental health as well as physical well-being in order to get your mojo back. Tracy, welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Oliver, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's good to be here. It's good to have you. Tracy, before we get started, can you just tell me a little bit about your start in the fitness industry? I have a start which a lot of instructors from New Zealand have a very similar story. So, you know, I was at physical education degree in Otago, and my first year I've come out from triathlon training and I just found it way too cold to train in Dunedin and so I just took up a new hobby which was socializing and it didn't do very well to my waistline and before you knew it I couldn't fit my clothes properly and I'd never had that problem before so I did what most people do and that's join the gym. So I went to Les Mills in Dunedin and I purchased one of those 10 trip tickets because I wasn't 100% sure whether this was the place for me and you know, back in the day, you could get these 10 trip tickets <laughs> and they would just click it off when you got to reception. I don't know if they still do that. And then I'd done three classes. It was jazz aerobics. I can remember the instructor. She was amazing. And after the third class, she came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I think that you would make a great instructor. And are you interested in training? And I was like, yeah, 100% had a dance background. So it was literally like, there's the stage. I'm used to that let's do it. And from that moment on, I've never had a gym membership. (laughs) So I'm back in New Zealand now, kind of hoping for the same thing, (laughs) but it's come full circle. So a lot of instructors that are really well known and from New Zealand had also had their start at Les Mills in Dunedin. It's a bit iconic actually that place. So yeah. Hearing you say that, we've had several guests over the years who a lot of prominent New Zealand guests and a lot of them have cited, obviously, Les Mills in their background. Not always Dunedin, but various Les Mills clubs and a lot of people have sort of learned the tools of their trade with Les Mills. So, I mean, it's, it's such a powerful, such a powerful institution, but I mean, especially in New Zealand. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, you, you just learn, you know, all the skills and the tools to get you ahead when it comes to teaching. And that actually translates a lot into life as well. So it's a hard tribe to leave because they continue to inspire and provide, you know, tools so that you can get better and better and better. I mean, they're amazing, without a doubt. Tracy, so you've got your, your start, your teaching group exercise. This was probably at a time when personal training was sort of in its infancy. Was that something that you were part of that sort of crossover then, becoming adding yeah. some personal training to your to your skill set? 
I was pretty much a guinea pig to the personal training business in Les Mills. And so I was one of the very first female personal trainers at Les Mills and probably New Zealand, I think, because they were they were, you know, going ahead with personal training when a lot of gyms weren't at that time. And so I actually started in Dunedin like a guinea pig PT and transferred to Wellington straight after my degree. And that was the job that I did. So we're talking like 1992. I became a personal trainer when the saying was only rock stars have PTs. (laughs) So, you know, jumping headfirst and not having you know, a lot of people to look look up to and gain from their experience how to build my business. I was pretty much out there by myself. And I had some good friends that had a client base that was too full for them. And they kind of (laughs) pushed some of their clients across to me. And I managed to keep some of them for like a couple of, I'd say 10 years before I went overseas. So people that I personal trained back in the day are still contacts for me today. It's really Presumably cool. they weren't all rock stars. No, there was a couple of DJs. and <laughs> No, it was just people that really felt that they wouldn't go to the gym unless they had someone there by their side. So that's sort of how things sure. started. And then it just became more mainstream and more popular and it, it was a lot easier to pick up clients. One of the tools that I used was actually front-facing teaching group fitness. So I would stand up in front of a class on a Friday night and say, yo, I've got a few fro- a few spots free for anyone that's interested in doing personal training. This is what it means to personal train with me. So I would do my own pitch to about 100 people. And that's how I, how I got started. And I still absolutely tote that as one of the best ways that you can, you know, pick up your client base is if you do teach group fitness. I think it's really easy to find a client base for personal training. Absolutely. I mean, what better way to be able to showcase what you can do? You've got a captive audience and, you know, if you want a bit more one-on-one time with me, then here I am. Yeah. It's like a live audition. You're showing them that you are Mm. fit, that you can do what you say you can do, and you have got that level of motivation so you can inspire them. They'll just have to, you know, pay you for it. So it it works out really well. Tracy, after your time with Les Mills and your early days in the industry in New Zealand, Southeast Asia was beckoning. Can you tell me a bit more about your move to, I believe it was Kuala Lumpur? I actually started in Hong Kong. So we got headhunted for Fitness First Asia. And at the time I was based in Wellington. So I was the group fitness manager and the training manager for Les Mills New Zealand. And I'd had a couple of really cool experiences of traveling overseas, predominantly to South America and Mexico to train the Les Mills programs over there. So I got a taste of it, which is I really like running the training. I'm okay with people that don't speak English. I can figure it out. And it was a really, really good time. It was a year of training, you know, multiple countries, different locations. And I thought, I wonder if I could do this like a full-time job. Does anybody do this? (laughs) And what happened was Fitness First Asia were planning a massive expansion throughout Southeast Asia. So the head office was based in Hong Kong. And so my name got put forward as a trainer that trains and teaches multiple Les Mills classes. And they thought that they would want to put in the Les Mills programs because it was the easiest way to get the group fitness studio open in a new club. And they were opening new clubs every six weeks. So I went up there and so I was teaching in the studios and managing a club as the group fitness manager, like one of the most beautiful clubs, Gateway Mall, which looks out onto the Hong Kong Harbour. And I did about three months actually in the gym. I think it was just them feeling me out and me understanding the company culture for Fitness First. 
And then, you know, I hit the ground running. I was traveling every two weeks, home for one week, out for two weeks, home for one week, that kind of thing. And that went on for about 18 months. And then they relocated the head office to Kuala Lumpur as a sort of up and coming country. It is a fantastic place to live. But we moved there, you know, 18 years ago and it's quite a different place today, but it was, you know, an amazing place to be based in. But at the same time, I was still traveling a lot. So Thailand, Philippines, Singapore, Indonesia, Dubai, a couple of other countries in Southeast Asia. And it was awesome. But one of the things that became really apparent to me, so there was this unique dynamic between Fitness First Asia and the fact that I was launching licensed programs from Les Mills, which was Les Mills Australia at the time, into an Asian market and they had no support. So it was, I was there and between go, go between person, between Les Mills Australia and Fitness First Asia. So it became kind of apparent that as Fitness First Asia grew and a lot of other brands started coming into the market and they're going, hey, we want that as well, that, you know, Les Mills thought, well, you know, how are we going to get all the, the growth in the clubs that are licensing through Australia and there was very little support from Australia just because of the location and geographics. How are we going to support the growing business in Southeast Asia? So I also found the same thing as I was traveling around taking trainings and it, it was really in places like Thailand and Indonesia where they don't speak, they didn't speak English. And so I always had a translator for a training. And over time, the translator got really, really good at doing the training. <laughs> and I was thinking, these guys could literally be the trainer. And so after a couple of years, I was speaking to Les Mills Australia saying, you know what, we have trainers here that could do this training. And you're not going to have to do the you know, translation piece. They're going to be able to stand up and present the training live in their own language. Let me help them. You know, let me get them to that point. And so that discussion came across quite organically. And then I left Fitness First Asia after five years and signed up for an MBA. So I wasn't going to work for anyone. I was just leaving cold. My husband was like, oh, my God, what are you doing? <laughs> You've got no job now, you know. But we were okay. And I was like, oh, I want to I want to go back and study. I want to get my business skills back up. So that was an awesome two years. Mm. So you, you study for two years, you get your MBA, what's your next step? Well, actually, one year into my MBA, Les Mills Australia said, hey, <laughs> the business is growing, we've got licensees right throughout Southeast Asia, and we need to set up a support office, would you be interested? And so I set up the support office for LMAP in Kuala Lumpur, sort of six months left from my MBA, so I started working with LMAP, which because they did change their name to Les Mills Asia Pacific to represent the fact that they had business across Asia and Australia. And I started working with them at the same time as finishing my MBA. So that was pretty intense, but it was an opportunity that I couldn't turn down. And it was all about the cause, you know, building the tribe and, you know, keeping the momentum of the passion and the love for Les Mills classes. That was like, it was like a massive wave in Asia. And we're talking like, you know, body combat was going nuts and body jam was going off, you know, because they, they had that real culture and love of music and martial arts and dance. So, I mean, those were two of my favorite programs at the time. And just to see them going, you know, going off and people loving it, classes were packed. It was nuts. And so, yeah, just the being, being on that wave was awesome. And knowing that I could contribute back to Les Mills Asia Pacific, building a business support team, a whole trainer team, 
admin support, then marketing, and it sort of grew over seven years. So it was really cool. It was a good time, and I learned a lot, and I grew up, <laughs> had children during that time as well, So, and they were very, very supportive of my situation. So it was awesome, really awesome. Busy time then. So the, the business, you're watching the business grow, you're growing your family. So at the end of that, you said seven or eight years with Les Mills, yeah. Southeast Asian Director, you then felt it was time for a move and you then, I think I believe that led you to Fire Fitness. Yeah. So there was a little bit in between where my husband set up Fire, so I can't take any credit for the idea. It was something that he was chipping away at for, for about 18 months before it went live. He actually created a three-dimensional suspension trainer, and that was called the Fire Trainer. And they use that in the clubs, and it's a real integral part of the of the hardware of the clubs. And it's you know basically that you've got rotational movement and everything through it. And he trademarked that, and that was his original idea. There were people that came to him and said, "Look, we think that getting into the boutique fitness movement in Southeast Asia is a winning idea." Would you be interested in being a part of that? And so therefore he jumped on board to sort of create the first boutique, you know, fitness facility, uh, sort of luxury high end, that kind of thing where people pay as you play, which was unheard of in Southeast Asia. So he started that and I was transitioning to work, do some contract work with Les Mills International in China while he was doing that. And that was a really good opportunity for me to kind of wrap up my time with Les Mills. I didn't know at the time that I would leave, but just the pathways that go there, sometimes you, you know, you're making a decision and taking a chance to do something different. And so being a part of Les Mills China and helping to rebuild and reconnect the business to Les Mills, because Les Mills International had taken over the China business, rebuild the trainer team. Once again, no English, (laughs) having a translator all the way through. That was really awesome. And I only did that for nine months. And then I entered the fire business. By that stage, the club, one of the clubs was up and running and it was about building a team and creating and developing programming and the marketing side. And Dave pretty much said, yeah, you do that because I'll run the operations and let's see if we can get this first club profitable and then start to open another one. So he was all about that. And I was kind of about the team building and, you know, just building out support tools around training, assessment, recruitment, marketing. So we took a really, really unique and different direction to what I was used to with Les Mills. And as it turned out, the market was ready and it went off. Hmm. So, I mean, the last decade or so has really seen the the explosion of the boutique sort of yeah. model. I mean, whereas, yeah, as you were saying, sort of, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was very much big box club focused. So it's interesting to hear the parallels with you being involved in that as it was happening in Asia as well. I mean, I had a passion for, you know, that real high-end service. I Mm. really felt like there was a point in time that I know that I wanted to really know what was happening on the ground. And I didn't want to just go in and teach a class and not even know if that person's ever going to come back, you know, like it became really important to both my husband and I that we would know the people that were coming to us. And we would create tools and training that would help the trainers understand that culture as well. We're just really lucky to attract like-minded people. I think they say, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe. So we had all those type of people that were really, really all about the service. And that helped with building the business and, you know, 
the, the, the following that we had. So it was just nice to be able to tap our feet into that opportunity. Five years it took us. <laughs> the next step was the app, I believe. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so I was doing some business coaching. I'll actually say Emma Barry has been an integral part of my sort of personal development and, and business coaching. Sometimes I'll just reach out to her when I'm at a bit of a crossroads. And I think crossroads happen for everyone, right? So if you've been in the fitness industry a long time and the industry has changed, if you're not keeping up with the change, then you kind of get left behind. And if you love it as much as, say, as I do, you don't want to get left behind. So you've got to understand where are the changes and how can I be of service? So I tapped into Emma as a mentor. She provided some business support. And a couple of big questions she asked me, one of them was, you know, what are you doing in the digital space? And are you ready to step up? And I was like, ah, no, 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 I'm all about the front facing. I mean, I think a lot of women in the fitness industry who have been in the industry like I have a long time, and I know a lot of these fantastic people would have those moments of doubt where they say, no, no, I'm not about that. But if you're going to stick around and you know that you can reach a greater audience this way, then you've got to dive in. And so she challenged me to get involved in the digital space. We also spent some time together in the US, tripping around and visiting, you know, different boutiques, talking to digital brands. And after that, that sort of trip, I knew that I needed to step up. And so I was able to be a part of a fitness app in Southeast Asia. It's the highest downloaded fitness app in Southeast Asia. It's headed up by a really well-known YouTuber. Her name's Joanna So. She's been awarded Southeast Asia's highest viewed fitness person multiple years and she wanted to create a subscription-based fitness app and so she tapped into me from a sort of a mentor perspective and recruitment perspective finding trainers for the app and stuff so I helped her with that and also really learned the background of how to build a fitness app so that was awesome and I was also one of the trainers on there I was the mid-life 40s trainer (laughs) speaks English And so I just really love putting content together for that and learning, you know, how to make a successful fitness app. I'm really happy for Joanna. She absolutely deserves all the success. She's a hard, hard worker and she's got, you know, a massive future ahead of her. So I can see that it's still going really, really well, even though I'm physically not there. But yeah, it was really good. And it also taught me a lot of tools across the digital side. It opened up my eyes to the possibilities. And so when COVID came... I was ready. (laughs) I was ready for whatever we needed to do to put fitness out there through the screen to touch people's lives at home, make them feel better. So yeah, that was good. (laughs) We worked with Emma recently on a piece on this very topic on, as she called it, digital fitness. The future is digital, which is so, so true. It's about, it's not necessarily moving away from what you've been, what your your bread and butter is, what you've been passionate about, the face-to-face interaction for the last two three decades it's about yeah it's about having options for people and it's about being prepared for when you can't always you can't always do face to face and it's also about reaching a, a wider market as well so yeah it's i mean it how great for you to be able to to have that <laughs> to have emma at your your fingertips to tap into for that for that mentoring yeah i mean it's funny because i'm actually talking to her again in a couple of weeks i've got some stuff going on with my podcast which i think we'll probably get to at some point in this interview but I've reached out to her again because there are things that are happening that I'm like, whoa, (laughs) there's so much going on. I just need some structure. And I know when I speak to someone, you know, it's really 
it's vital actually and it, it just gives you that structure if you get the right person you know I think I'm all about getting mentoring and business support and stuff so yeah I mean Emma is my go-to but there's some pretty awesome coaches out there Talking about Emma there and about mentoring, it leads me on to your role with the Women in Fitness Association. I believe Emma is involved in that. <laughs> so you're a global ambassador for the Women in Fitness Association. Can you tell me a little bit more about that role and the aims and, and how you how you go about reaching people and using your influence? Yeah, I think it's the commonality behind women coming together is, you know, I think it's about supporting women to move ahead in the fitness industry. There's something else that I've discovered about that moving ahead and where women actually stop, and that comes a little bit later. But it's, you know, like the industry is largely still, apart from the boutique space, driven by males. And so, you know, getting through into the C-suite and stuff is, is a little bit tougher for women. And so the whole concept for the Women in Fitness Association is to help women discover that pathway to provide mentoring to help them structure their why. I mean, there's just so many parts to it. They also have an alignment with ACE to provide courses that are supported between WEFA and ACE and we get discounts as WEFA members. So I was originally asked to be the WEFA ambassador for Southeast Asia and now I'm not there. So I have connected with the New Zealand ambassador and so they don't sort of take away the title or anything like that. It's just as long as you're still involved. And we are now reaching out to the woman in New Zealand. So we've sort of had a potted history of your your background in the industry now. And it's, you brought us bang up to date with your move back to New Zealand after <laughs> a couple of decades living in Asia. So this year you've launched a new project, which is called Sexy Aging, which you describe as a community celebrating the gift of aging and debunking the notion that life after 40 is all downhill. So what, what brought you to this point, Tracy, and what does it involve? Yeah, you know what, it's actually really funny what brought me to this point, because it was while I was working at FIRE and teaching classes and, you know, because I taught classes and that's always been a passion and a hobby. So that just kept me connected with the audience. But I found that the audience were like women like me. So they were, you know, they look after themselves, they care about the way they look and dress, they love being healthy and fit and bouncing out of bed in the morning. They're all about it, getting at it, you know, trying new things and stuff, being really open to new workouts. So I had a really like-minded audience in front of me, but at the same time, I was going through hormonal changes that were really messing with my head and nobody I knew could talk about it. Like nobody could tell me what was going on. And so I had to find out for myself and basically putting it out there, it's called perimenopause <laughs> and menopause or the third stage for women. And so hormonal changes that affect your health, both physically and mentally. And it is quite pronounced what happens. And so I would be sort of searching or looking for like-minded women to have a conversation with and nobody could have this level of conversation. They had no idea. But I would have women come to me after a class and say, oh, look, I've been up all night for nights on end or I'm just sweating in a meeting or they would tell me all these things and I'd be going, yeah, that's it. And when I would say that's perimenopause, they'd go, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not ready. I'm too young. And it's actually from about 40. <laughs> and that's a huge chunk of the market in the fitness industry. Massive. Not knowing what the heck is going on with their bodies. And so I'm trying to have a conversation. No one's having a conversation back with me or everyone's in denial. And I'm like, so I go on this massive deep dive and I find out all this information. But it took me a while because there was just no nothing that I could find. 
And as I started to deep dive and go down the rabbit hole, I was connected with amazing resources and experts in the field. And I just felt like it was my service and my purpose that other women should know about this. So I have always said during the podcast, I am not the expert, but I am the connector. And so I've had this amazing army of women come out and go, oh, you should talk to this person. You should talk to that person. And and the testimonies and the messages that I get around the content has just given me this, this fire in my belly to make sure that women get the information that they need. And I'm a really pretty straight up talker. So <laughs> the questions that I ask are probably what women are thinking in their head. And I know that at some point I second guess myself. I think, oh, don't say that or don't ask that. But I keep saying, no, if I'm thinking it, someone else is thinking it. So don't second guess yourself. Just ask the question. And then I get the response back from a listener that says, I'm so glad you asked that because I felt like a real dick thinking it. Like, no, (laughs) I am that dick. (laughs) And I needed to know. I needed to know the answer. So, yeah, so you can tell that I'm pretty excited about this and actually I'll re- reframe back to Emma she also you know challenged me to do the podcast so the reason it's called sexy aging if anyone's interested in checking it out but I just feel like you know once you know what's happening to your body and you can get your mojo back there's no reason why you shouldn't feel a hundred percent and sometimes you know feeling sexy or just feeling fly feeling yourself you know I think that's important it's your energy that you put out there and if, you know, these changes to your body are dulling your light and dulling your energy, then you got to do something about it. It can be fixed. You can do something about it. You don't have to step away from that light and marginalize yourself. So, yeah, it's an important conversation. I will actually say when it comes to the fitness industry, very, very low level of support, no conversation around this, really hard to get content around how do you train a woman in her mid-40s and 50s. Because we're told you can go and do HIIT workouts at F45, for example. I'm not slang F45. I do the workouts too. But that's kind of the market. That's where they're pitching it to us. And I sort of say, hey, hang on. There's stuff going on with your body that that type of workout is not going to cut it. You know, so there really isn't enough structured content for the fitness industry that says when it comes to a 45-year-old woman or 40 even, They've got money to spend. They love fitness. They like taking care of themselves, but we're not giving them the right workouts. I believe you've done some work with Wendy Sweet, another one of your fantastic country women who's written some content for us in the past and, and she's presented, I know, at Filex and various other fitness industry conventions. Fantastic presenter, loads of great content. And I believe this is one of the topics that she's done research into and has written about extensively as well. Is the maybe is it a lack of information or, or misinformation or, or the or people thinking that because hit training and things like this can be very effective that they're they can be effective for everybody, but they're just completely the wrong thing to be prescribing to to certain demographics. And obviously Wendy's very much focused also on the demographic that you're that you're now talking about. Yeah. I mean, Wendy's been in this for a long time and she is a massive resource of knowledge for women going through menopause. So she has her program that I have pushed a lot of people to check it out because like I said, I'm not the expert and I believe she is one of the leading experts in the area, especially when it comes to, you know, fitness and wellness and and basically, you know, figuring out what's going on with your body. So she was 
like amazing to come on my podcast. She was like the first guest that I interviewed because I thought if I'm going to start, I'm going to start with someone that knows some shit, you know, (laughs) and can give us like real content. So that was awesome. What I'm also discovering, because I'm a fitness person, fitness professional as well. So she's given me sort of direction to explore the, you know, fitness workouts for women. And so she is, she's an advocate of not doing HIT. And then I'm also finding out that there are other experts in the field. Dr. Stacey Sims, who's based here in Tauranga, actually, where I live. And they're all about doing some some level of high-intensity training, but I feel like it's targeted towards weight training and not so much the high-intensity interval training for the cardio, right? So I'm still kind of researching myself, like what actually are we supposed to be doing? Because if I'm confused, one person says don't do this, one person says do this, and I'm somewhere in the middle trying to figure it out. I mean, I'll probably have it figured out in six months, <laughs> so ask me again. But I am still also trying to figure out what's going on with how we should train and what would a structured training program look like to make sure that, you know, any results that we're trying to get, they have that level of results because there's a lot of weight gain that happens with menopause because your estrogen levels drop significantly, you lose a lot of muscle. But what is the right way to train? What does that actually look like? And I haven't found it yet. So I'm sure it's out there, but I haven't found it. So send someone my way need to know presumably there's also i mean there's not going to be one blanket rule for everyone who fits into that group anyway based on personal factors and i mean maybe epigenetics and all sorts of things but everyone has their own profile so there's always going to be you know different variations within within training programs for individual that's where personal trainers come in that's what what personal trainers are for a hundred percent i mean i think that would be one of the most valuable workshops for a personal trainer today would be something related to midlife woman because these women they're ready for it they're ready to pay for it but there's just no trainers out there that know what they're doing I actually test trainers (laughs) I go around and I go okay so what do you know about menopause and midlife training what can what would you do for someone like me that's menopausal they, their faces just like go, <laughs> like they can't say anything. They for like for a whole ten seconds, there's silence. You know, I still actually haven't met anyone that can tell me what they would do. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, I mean the, the, the whole topic, as you say, you know, the, you you were kind of drawing a blank when you were going through this yourself initially, and and finding that there just wasn't readily available information out there. It's incredible <laughs> that that would be the case in this day and age, really, isn't it? That you'd have to work that hard to find out this information because women are not <laughs> a minority group on this planet. You know, it's uh... actually the first guy I've spoken to about this, like <laughs> that's actually having this conversation around acknowledgement that there is a missing gap for women. And it's a huge part of the market. It's 51% of the global population, you know. It's huge for the future. Women's health, femtech, all of those areas are up and coming and trending. So, I mean, I'm probably giving someone a business idea right now. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, listen back to the podcast yourself, Tracy, and then get get inspired by your own by your own suggestion, and uh, and that can be your next business idea. Well, hence the reason I said I'm talking to Emma next week. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's stuff going on. There's a list of ideas, and I need to figure out what's going to be the best one to pursue. And also, I'm all about working with other people. You know, collaborating with like-minded people. So, you know, if if this touches 
someone and they're like, oh, I, you know, I want to jump in. I want to be a part of that. Then, you know, I'm happy to hear from them. So mm. that'd be awesome. <laughs> so you say that, you know, ageing for women has changed. I mean, I guess that can possibly work on on very various different angles. The approach to ageing has changed, yeah. I guess. But are there also biological changes? As in, I know, for example, that biologically in different cultures, different countries, and now versus maybe 20, 30 years ago, ages for puberty, et cetera, are different and they, they vary. So is that the same when it comes to perimenopause? Look, I couldn't tell you exactly. And, you know, obviously, because I'm not the expert in that space. But what I do know and what I have learned by talking to people, experts, doctors, is obviously that we are aging longer, all of us, men and women, but women particularly aging longer. Mm-hmm. And so we're coming up against health issues that we hadn't encountered before. A lot of them to due to do with, due, you know, due to sort of heart problems and stuff. So menopause or the dropping in hormones actually does affect your heart health as well. And you can be a really healthy fit person and still end up with some heart issues and I think this is one of the things I've learned and so it's it's on my you know checklist to-do list is to go and get my heart health sorted out when I would think I'd be like I'm one of the healthiest women I know as far as fit but I'm going to go get my heart checked the other part to that is women like me and I think about women like me in the fitness industry we are quite a unique group of people because we're coming through the industry as leaders still in fitness you know, we started back with Jane Fonda and with Jazzercise and Jazz Aerobics. And I'm that person, I was one of the, you know, newer instructors in that area. A lot of instructors in Australia as well, women in Australia that I know of, were, you know, pioneers in fitness. And so we jumped on board that bandwagon of teaching group fitness and then getting into personal training and then the weight training aspect of it came in. So we have been pioneers in women's fitness and health. And we're kind of leading that charge, but we don't have all the answers. So it's kind of a unique position to be in, to be a midlife woman, trying to figure out what midlife women want and what they need and what's going to work for them to successfully age into the future. And, you know, a big part of that isn't just the physical training. Like it becomes really apparent how important your mental wellness is and your stress levels. Like they are literally run in tandem, stress, mental wellness, physical wellness. They have to all be addressed at the same time, not just, okay, if we fix the physical part, then the rest is going to be great. I mean, they actually all work together. So that's also changes the dynamic of what does being fit and healthy mean today for women in this age. There's definitely been a much stronger focus on mental health and mental well-being in recent years. And I've, I really feel as though for the last 18 months, it's become even more pronounced with much more acknowledgement of the mental benefits of physical activity, of exercise, but, and just mental well-being in general. So it feels like that's a topic which is no longer as taboo as it once was. It definitely seems to be more out there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, we, I think we all know it. We can all see it. And, you know, even if you're just scrolling on your Instagram, you can see it, how people are saying and being open and honest about either saying that they're having problems with their mental health or issues and that they need some support. People are really fine to put that out there or offering support, you know, which is awesome. The Exercise New Zealand did a survey this year to the consumers to ask them, you know, what were the benefits of exercise? And 61% said mental health. 
So that was a tenfold increase from just three years ago. So that's amazing, right? So consumers that aren't even working in the industry know the benefits of physical activity for mental health. And that's something to be celebrated. Yeah. yeah, that really is. That is huge. Uh, yeah, you can't imagine. You can't imagine if just a few years ago that that it would even come in the top ten reasons that people might, as it might or that consumers particularly might list as being a reason why they might exercise. So that's yeah. incredible, very interesting. Yeah, I think that obviously COVID has really accelerated the fact that all of us have had a moment. Like oh, without a doubt, I don't know anyone who's had a moment. And whether that moment is a bit of panic, some anxiety. I mean, it doesn't matter. Everyone's felt something that was off, right? Didn't feel right. My head doesn't feel right. Oh my God, my head doesn't feel right. What is this? And asking the question. So I think even if you've had, you know, mild anxiety, I think that, you know, bringing it forward to conversation to say to someone, hey, I'm really feeling this way. And everyone understands, Right. So everyone understands what that feels like. Even, you know, like, oh, this is really messing with my head being in this house for nine months <laughs> with my children homeschooling. You know, I've got an army of supporters that go, I got you, babe. And here's what I did. And here's what you can try. I mean, it's a normal thing now. Tracy, well, we're looking at we're looking at the you know attitudes to aging and approaches to aging. I mean, you've obviously just moved back to New Zealand from Malaysia would you would you say that there are have you noticed any differences in approaches to aging between different yeah, I was just talking to my husband about this this morning we were both pretty surprised by how do I say this how aged the industry is here and I think yeah I mean, it's quite I think we took it for granted the youthfulness that we were surrounded by every day and I think in lots of ways that has kept me really youthful and also kept my finger on the pulse to what's trending, what's happening, what do people like to do? Because Asia's really quite open-minded when it comes to fitness. They'll try anything. Like if it's a trend, they'll pick it up and, and, and they'll do it really quickly. You know, it's like, it doesn't take long to have bungees hanging from the ceiling and doing bungee aerobics or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't take long to do that. So, you know, whether it's the right kind of program or not, I mean, that's how my husband and I can discern, you know, from our experience to go yay to that and nay to that. But just that attitude of we'll try it, you know. So coming back into New Zealand, we understand the culture here and 99% of the time we are deeply in love with the culture of New Zealand. I can't imagine living in a better place. I mean, there's not a day that I haven't touched ground that I've wanted to go back to the life that I had. And I'm also grateful for the two decades that I had. I have, you know, beautiful life in Malaysia, amazing friends who I consider my family. I'll never, ever regret that. But the decision was a very strong decision to come back to New Zealand and embrace the culture. But we have noticed that the fitness industry is a little bit older. And I do think that there's a couple of reasons for that, you know, like who's picking up fitness memberships and clubs and stuff. So, you know, between sort of 35 and 45, there's a really good sustainable membership base for fitness mm. clubs. So that's what you see a lot of in the clubs. The younger people are still very tied up with sports they sort of hop around between different clubs they're more into yoga I noticed that as well if I want to find some younger people to hang out with I might go to the latest yoga studio Pilates is big I really actually I haven't explored enough but I haven't seen any bar here and I was teaching bar back in Kuala Lumpur bar is a massive trending workout and it's big in Australia I believe 
but it's not big here and I'm really surprised about that and it does attract a younger market as well. Some advice for people in the demographic that you're talking about that would also be having other other commitments and family family commitments that sort of detract from being able to focus on yourself all the time which is you know kids and probably also older parents as well. It's the hardest age group to find time to exercise when they really need it because their stress levels are so high. So that age demographic is, yeah, they, they've got a pull between sort of teenage kids and that's like a nightmare in mm. itself and aging parents. So, you know, the type of workouts that they'll want to do are things that take away that level of stress. And when you say that, you automatically think yoga, meditation, Pilates. But I actually feel like boxing, you know, and community-driven type workouts where they get to be with like-minded people, that's, that's a really good opportunity for a business that wants to tap into that market. It's really about addressing the levels of stress and understanding the lifestyle that they lead and offering a solution to keep them healthy, healthy, you know deal to and maybe even sort of one of the areas that I feel that fitness needs to go towards is the consolidation of medical and wellness as well so not just work in a silo of we can help you change your body but I really do feel like it's you know we offer the body mind soul connection within our club we have it all and we can you know help you with your stress help you find like-minded people. So there are a couple of really cool key marketing initiatives that taps, that clubs should tap into if they haven't already. Absolutely. Talking about the way that this all ties together, and you, you mentioned previously, you know, sort of when you mention to trainers getting a, a bit of a, a 10-second blank stare when, you, when, you're, <laughs> when you're discussing training for perimenopausal women, is this something that, can you see it being something that, your everyday trainer is going to be learning more about and integrating into the training that they deliver or is it do you think it's going to work more as a a niche market whereby sorry not that the market's niche but that you might have trainers that solely focus on these groups so that you've got one you've got a trainer that works almost exclusively with this demographic and therefore is much more much better versed in in the training requirements well, that's a few questions. So I feel like from a personal training perspective that any personal trainer would do themselves a service to find out this information on training that client base because it's a really big part of the client base. There are yeah. a lot of women out there that are really happy to pay for personal training, but they don't get what their body needs. So they're not getting results and therefore they stop, right? So I feel like if the trainer doesn't know why they, why they stop, because the client sometimes doesn't know why they need to stop because of the hormonal changes, then I think that if the trainers understand this market, then that's, that's a good thing for them. Whether they come up against it or not, I mean, there's no harm, right? But I do believe that one of the biggest opportunities for personal training is to be focused on that market. I really do. I think it's an incredible opportunity. You know, it might feel really awkward to be a guy and go, I need to know whether my, you know, am I going to have this conversation with my client? Like, why is she putting on weight? You know, they need to know. And I mean, as you say, I mean, the difficult questions are where you find the value though, right? That's where you're going to get to the actual answers. So yes, it's difficult for, it's difficult for trainers, for female trainers, probably even to a degree to ask some of their, their female clients more personal details, but that's the nature of what, if, if, if you want to do your job properly, that's what you've got to do. You've got, if you want to help your clients get results, you need to, you need to unearth all of this information. So I guess that's what one of the bigger challenges is almost getting trainers to, 
to feel confident enough to to ask these questions and to be able to do so in a way that's not going to offend but to also not be afraid of not be afraid of offending clients to the degree that they're not going to they're not going to be finding out these answers yeah no i mean you're just getting my head ticking over right now because we go okay so here's puberty and we talk about puberty we talk about puberty from age 10 right and then we talk about childbearing. So we talk about having babies and this is what you need to do before you get pregnant. Here's how you train after you get pregnant. And then after that, it's like desert crickets. Mm. <laughs> do you see where I'm, what I'm thinking? It's like as a personal trainer, we say when we're doing, you know, asking the questions, their assessment, are you pregnant? Have you had children? You know, those questions get asked, but there is nothing that happens after that. Like there's no conversation that says, are you perimenopausal? I mean, maybe that's a good question to put on the assessment because two things are going to happen. The trainer is going to get a yes or a no from the client and therefore they can train the way that they want to train them or they're used to training them. Or they're going to get a yes, I am perimenopausal and then they go, good, well, I know how to help you and I know what you need and I know what your body needs and I know what to expect when you come in and you've had no sleep all night. Of course, I'm not going to thrash you through that hip workout because that's not going to help you right? So it's kind of like a desert <laughs> and it comes from the pre-questionnaire. Yeah, it's not taboo. <laughs> it's like a real thing. It's like puberty, childbearing, menopause. <laughs> well, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. You, you're like, you're throwing down the gauntlet there, Tracy. Let's hope that more and more trainers are going to pick it up because I mean, for, for many reasons, but one of which being, if you're a personal trainer and this is your market, this is business. This is it's your business. business. It's a moneymaker. <laughs> Well, you know, if that's what brings about a lot of change. It is. If there's a business opportunity there, then people need to be recognizing it. Yeah. Well, hopefully, and it helps everyone. I think, you know, it doesn't just come down to the money. It really is about helping people navigate their way through these changes. I mean, the changes are good. The upside is awesome, but the process is extremely difficult. So, you know, we all need, we are health professionals, not just fitness professionals. So we need to really understand and, you know, help as many people as we can. So yeah, if I'm throwing down the gauntlet, I'm really happy to and excited if people say, yeah, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue that opportunity. That would be awesome. Tracy, one of the ways that you're reaching more people with your message, as you've alluded to, is with your podcast, Sexy Aging. So you've, you've mentioned a couple of the guests that you've had and that, you, that you've got upcoming. You seem to have got real fire in your belly about this one. So it's a, a great initiative. If any of our listeners want to find out more or will listen to the podcast, can you just give us a refresher on where they can find it and how to search for it? Super easy. So it's www.sexyaging.com. <laughs> Can't forget that. Sexy Aging, if you type it into any podcast site, you'll find it. It's on all of them. And I'm on Instagram. So under Sexy Aging or Tracy Minnick. Tracy, thank you so much for speaking with the Fitness Industry Podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And look, I wish you really wish you well and all the best with the Sexy Aging Project. Thank you. For a huge range of online courses for fitness professionals, many of them accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, go to the network website and select the courses tab. Network members save up to 30%, so head to fitnessnetwork.com.au today to grow your skill set and fitness career.